Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Open your Bibles to the book of Mark 13 as we study the second half of this chapter. We've been walking through the book if this is your first time here or the, the first time in a while. And so uh, it's kind of like I tell people when you just preach through the Bible like this, it's kind of like a golf game. You have to play the ball wherever it lands. And so uh, last week we were talking about the signs approaching of end days during the tribulation. And today we're seeing the definite signs of that. So as you see on the screen, the title of the message is The Power of Being Ready and Keeping Watch. The Power of Being Ready and Keeping Watch. It's kind of like if you've ever been to a, a little league baseball game. Sometimes there's the, stu- there's the kids that are really into the game, and then the, there's the others that are sitting down in outfield picking daisies, just wondering when snack time is going to come. I think sometimes when it comes to our faith, we are that guy that's trying to steal a base and looking and being very alert, but then some other times we may see a bee or we may see a, a daisy or we may just kind of get tired and sit down right where we're at. So Jesus is reminding us to be ready. And, and I think it's very important to understand is that why in the world are we preaching about the great tribulation as we're, we've been walking with Jesus as he has gone through the healings and the miracles and he is just about, he has entered Jerusalem for the last time. He is just about to go to trial that is fixed. He's about to hang on the cross and about to ascend. And so what he is doing is he is preparing these disciples for what is to come. And so he gives us a glimpse into what those last days will look like. And so he references the Great Tribulation. And the Great Tribulation is a future time after the rapture of the church when the Lord will accomplish at least two objectives. The first one is, is that Israel, those that rejected Jesus as their Messiah, will be punished. And then also unbelievers who rejected Jesus will be punished as well. So before we jump into Mark 13, I think it's very important. You've ever seen those TV shows where they, they show you, they put like a date that is 24 and they show you something that happened to give you context for what you're about to watch in a television show? Y'all ever seen that? Okay, I'm not the only one. Good. So that's, in an essence, we're doing that today by going all the way back to the Old Testament to Daniel 9.24 through 27. And we're talking about, depending on which translation you have, uh, the New Living Translations, which I'm preaching out of, calls this the sacred object that causes desecration. And we'll talk about that in a minute. In some translations, it will say an abomination of desolation. I know the King James has that uh, description of it. But it says in verse 24, that a period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. Talking about the temple in Jerusalem. Verse 25 says, Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. 
Jerusalem will be built with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. Now, we've got a few more numbers here. After the period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. And a ruler will rise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. And the end will come with a flood and war and as many series are decreed or as miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. Again, this is Daniel writing this over 2000 years before it would happen with Jesus. It says in verse 27, the ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven But after half that time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and the offering. And at the climax of all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration. Or some translations say abomination of desecration. Until the fate decreed for this defiler has been poured out on him. So the sacrilegious object that causes desolation, again, is the abomination of denomination. And it's the same reference that Jesus is making in today's passage. So I know that we have just kind of went into the tall weeds there for a minute and looked at that stuff. But I think it's very important that we have context when we come to Scripture. Because if we don't have context, it's really easy, A, to not understand it. And B, people could lead us astray if we don't have the context. So what we see here in verses 1 through 13, much of Mark 13 reference a generic deterioration of events. In other words, the tribulation starts and about halfway into it, we come to our passage today. And so our first verses we're going to look at is uh, Mark 13, verses 14 through 18. Mark chapter 13, verses 14 through 18. And how are we going to know that this seven years is beginning? I think I, I skipped one on you, Trista, if we'll go back one. What signals... Well, at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation, the first thing is, I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you watch the news and you read your, your news feeds or whatever, pay close attention to what is happening in Israel. That is the most key piece of real estate to this world because this is what is centering around all of these things that we read in Scripture. And so when we see a seven-year peace treaty signed, between the nation of Israel and the prince that shall come. We see that. We just read that in Daniel 9.26. And if you remember, a couple months ago we were in Revelation. That prince that it's referencing is the Antichrist. The Antichrist will broker a peace for the nation of Israel for seven years. In the book of Revelation, they call this Antichrist the beast. And then the second thing is the Jews who rejoice. Jesus is their Messiah, will accept the Antichrist as their Jewish chosen Messiah. John talks about that in John chapter 5, verse 43. And then the third thing is, after three and a half years, the Antichrist will break this age and force the world to worship Satan. Again, prayerfully, depending on where you are in your theology, but for, for most of us, we believe that when this is happening, prayerfully, we're going to be out of here. We're going to have the long view of this because well, we believe that, that Jesus Christ is going to come back. He's going to rapture the church. And then all of these things will begin to happen. It won't be impossible to become a Christian in this time. 
but it will be much more difficult than it is today. So in the middle years of tribulation, the temple of Jerusalem will be desecrated. And when I think about the, the temple being desecrated, I think back to um, one of my years at, at Charleston Southern. Uh, we had a prayer chapel that was housed within our bigger meeting chapel. And so you could go there. The door was unlocked. You could go there any time. There were prayer grams you could write. There was a kneeling bench. There was a Bible. There was all these great things that could fill us, facilitate a good prayer time. Well, I'll never forget one morning we woke up and someone had desecrated that room. They had knocked over the nice furniture. They had spray painted pentagrams inside of it and other obscenities that I cannot repeat in this setting. But it was desecrated. It was it was mauled. It was almost like, I don't know if you remember, but uh, almost a year ago, maybe now, someone went to the Dolly Cooper Cemetery right here in our town, and they desecrated it by spraying the graves of those that have fallen. And the many sheriff's departments and fire departments and people, volunteers, that went out to clean that up. It's never fun when something is desecrated. It is almost like, for some reason, we think that churches should be exempt from crime, this church should be exempt from vandalism, but the truth of the matter is, they're not. And so this is taking a holy place and it's becoming desecrated. Verse 14 says, and this is Jesus speaking, the day is coming when you will see the sacrilegious object that causes desecration. And the last time I'll say this, that is also a term for the abomination of desecration. You will see that standing there where he should not be. And he says, reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. This object was filthy and disgusting. It will be placed in the holy place of the temple in Jerusalem, standing in the middle of this where it should not be. Matthew writes in Matthew 24 that this object will be standing in the holy place. The holy place that was reserved for Israel alone, not an idol. And then the worship of this idol will bring desolation and the complete judgment of God. This sacrilegious object will be nothing like we have seen before. But I I do want you to, as we are reading this, some of you, maybe none of you, I don't know, but some of you will be thinking, you know what? That has been written long ago. How do we not know that this has already happened? My friend, I'll tell you what. When Jesus Christ comes back, you will know it. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord after that at the great judgment. But we see, just if you would indulge me for just a second as I go through a little bit of brief history. In 587 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar looted the temple, the Jewish temple, and took Judean captives to Babylon. So we see that desecration in the temple. We see in 167 B.C., this is called the intertestamental period. So you go tell your friends tomorrow at work or at school, you learned a church word called intertestamental period. Anybody know what that is? I had to look it up too. It is the 400 years between when the Old Testament was written and the New Testament was written. That 400 year gap where there is no writings, we don't know what happened, but we know because of regular secular records that were kept by people that in, in 167 BC, the Jewish temple was defiled by the Syrian king 
Antiochus, which also they called Epiphanes, which means the illustrious. In other words, he goes in and he, the Syrian king goes in and when he got into the temple, he poured pig's blood all over the temple. And you think, well, that's an abomination. It's nothing like that we will see or they will see when this happens. And we know from reading the New Testament that in 70 A.D., 70 years after the death of Christ, the Romans captured and destroyed the city of Jerusalem according to the temple, including the temple. And um, just a side note, just a few years after Jesus gave this warning in 38 A.D., the emperor Caligulus made plans. He was going to go in and put a statue of himself into the temple and have people worship him. But he died before that happened, so it was a no start after that. Okay, there's a history lesson. These and more were precursors of what Jesus is describing here. And the reason I went down that road of history is that there will still be things (coughs) that will happen. And although the temple is not really built anymore, the place where the temple is built, you would think, would be the Mecca of Jewish activity. But actually, if you go to Jerusalem on the, the Temple Mount, everything, they are Muslim mosques. The temple is not there. One day it will be rebuilt, but right now it's Muslim. Everything over there is Muslim. And then uh, Jesus gives a personal application about what's going to happen during these days in verses 15 through 18. Notice it says, A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. And I pray that your flight will not be in winter. Folks, the days that Jesus is talking about, he's warning them, saying that these days are going to be terrible. This verse is not to discourage families from having babies for fear of what they may have to endure, but life is hard either way, isn't it? And so what... To just retreat and to hide and to to stay out of this world? Is that the option? How are we going to make it better? It is by worshiping Jesus, raising children to do the same, raising generations. But there's no perfect time to live. Every day has its problems. You sit around with your parents and your grandparents. They'll talk about, you know, back in the day we had this problem. And those of you that are young now, you cannot imagine this. But those of you that are young, you will have children one day and you will talk. Boy, I remember back when we had to actually open up a cell phone and dial a number. Man, we were really struggling back then. But ultimately, we must have faith that God is still in control of our lives and watch. So, folks, we must prepare ourselves and our families today what for what is to come. Let me ask you a real question. Parents, have you prepared your children for what has come, what Jesus is talking about? Are you talking to them about this? Is the coming of Christ for the second time even on your family's radar? Is it on your radar? I'm not saying that you have to sit down for every Bible story for every night they go to bed and the second coming. But is it a reality or is it a fairy tale much like some of these other things that we celebrate? Where we give gifts, or get candy, or give candy. Oh, this is the second coming. This is this is going to happen, but you're not going to have to worry about it. Is that how we prepare people? No. If if you go to a family and a family wants to know how to prepare 
for a fire or for a burglar. There are steps. There are products. There are things that you do to prepare your family for that emergency. Are you preparing yourself for what Jesus is talking about? And it says the final years of the tribulation will be like nothing humanity has ever experienced. In verses 19 through 27, notice it says, For there will be greater anguish in those days than any time since God created the world, and it will never happen again. Folks, that means things will happen that are greater than we have ever seen, even greater than the casualty, all the casualties of war Mixed together, this will be worse. Greater than the bubonic plague of 1343, that 25 million people in Europe passed away. It'll be greater than COVID, folks. Even Fauci won't be able to save us from the second coming and the great tribulation. In fact, unless the Lord shortens the time of calamity, in verse 20, not a single person will survive, but for the sake of the chosen ones... Those who are saved during the tribulation, he has shortened their days. And so he's saying there, those who come to know Jesus during those seven years of great tribulation, their days will be shortened. Verse 21, then if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, folks, if someone has to tell you they are the Messiah, they probably aren't. Just ask Jim Jones. Well, you can't. He's dead. Just ask David Koresh. You can't. He's dead. There are many people that have claimed to be Christ, using scriptures to support their claims, but yet still have lied and were false prophets. Verse 22, for false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen one. So watch out. I have warned you about this ahead of time. People at that time, during the Great Tribulation, people are going to be hungry for hope. They are going, I mean, they are, you can see what Jesus is talking about. It is going to be tough. So if somebody comes on scene and they have a vision of hope, they have special things that they can do, and they claim that they are a Messiah, it's very likely people will gravitate towards that. It's much like if people, if a boat goes down and there are stragglers that are swimming trying to get, get out of the water and rescue boats come up, the rescue boats have to be careful because if not, every person in the water is going to try to climb on that and it's going to end up sinking the rescue boat. We have to be careful and we have to be wise. Many will be tempted to follow fake messiahs, but this goes for today. Believers, we must test The messengers. And I would say even today, you test my words. I am not infallible. I can, I can say dumb things. Some of you would say, Amen. I understand. But for the purpose of this, when I'm preaching, everything that I say, I'm held accountable to by what it says in God's Word right here. So, when you hear teaching, even if it's your favorite podcast, even if it's your same, your favorite YouTube video series, or your, your favorite television program, or your, your favorite author, you have to do these, or your favorite pastor too. You have to do these things. Number one, is what they said proven or has it been revised and updated when it doesn't come true? To know if someone is real, have they been proven or have they updated when things haven't happened? Are they, do they teach using parts of the Bible 
Or do they use the whole of the Bible? You can't just preach that God is love and not preach that God is judge and holy and wrathful. It is part of the whole picture. He is not some grandfather sitting in a rocking chair wanting to give you a Werther's candy when you crawl up to his lap. He'll do that if you need it, but he'll also give you a spanking if you need it too. Or for those non-spankers, time out. God, God is a loving God and He loves us and He disciplines us. So to only preach love and to not preach the need for forgiveness, not to preach the need to owning our sin and becoming better people is a disservice. So if you are surrounding yourself with preachers that don't preach sin, they don't preach hell, they don't preach judgment, you better run because you're going to be held accountable not only for what you don't know, but what you rejected to seek out. Yes, this world wants to hear what their itching ears want to hear. If you want to be popular, you, you, uh, you just absorb and, and believe all the hashtags and all the, the movements and all of these things and, and just don't worry about what the Bible says and you will be popular among many people. But will it have power? No, sir. No, ma'am. Contradictions. Do their teachings contradict the truths of the Bible? Emphasis. When they are preaching, who gets the attention? If they're up here saying, nobody understands you like me. You can't get this kind of church anywhere except right here. Nobody else has a right. But right here, this is where you will find what you need. If you listen to me and trust me, I'll tell you the truth. If, if everything, if the church is all about, if the church is getting the attention, if the preach, the preacher is getting attention, but God is not getting attention, that is a warning sign, folks. Look, I could care less if I get on a who's who of whatever. I'm not going to make the cover of Preacher Magazine. I don't want to be the preacher poster boy. I just want to be a guy that reads it and tells it as God shares it with me from his word. Something so simple that you can do it too. Look, I'm, yeah, I had some schooling, but, but I'm not any smarter than y'all. We just read and the Holy Spirit teaches us. And then finally, and some of our so-called Christian believers need to understand this too. Does what you preach promote hate? Does what you preach promote hate? Look, I am all for calling a sin a sin. But I am also all for loving people who are in the middle of that sin. Because the truth be known, the sin that they are in is no greater than the one that you're swimming in yourself. Folks, there would be many more people that would be receptive to the gospel if they heard love. and Not, not acceptance. Not not just turning your back and just saying, you're okay, I'm okay, well, I'll be okay in the end. But you cannot agree with somebody and still love them and help them and talk to them and show them through what God's Word says and show them through your actions what is to be true. We should not a church that promotes hate. And I will say that sometimes on some issues, if we just read the Scripture just as it is, the world's going to call us hate, but that's not on him. That's not on us. That's on them. 
says in verse 24, at that time, after anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moons will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. What is this talking about? How many of y'all were good in science and astronomy? You like that kind of stuff? Anybody? Okay, we got one in the sound booth. This is for you, Trista. What's Jesus talking about here? Check this out. You look up, y'all like looking at telescopes and looking at planets and stars and stuff? Y'all enjoy gravity? <laughs> yeah. Y'all, y'all enjoy looking up in the morning and seeing a, a bright sunrise and looking at the night sitting on your porch and seeing a nice sunset. During these days, all of that's going to fall apart. I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know what that means if we won't have any stars. I don't know what that's going to do to gravity. I don't know what that's going to But it says right here that the whole order... I remember vaguely, very vaguely, back in middle school when we were talking about science and astronomy and stuff, that we are part of a solar system. And some of you are like, oh, James, just don't even go there, but I'm going to. There's there's a solar system, there's planets revolving, all of them revolve around the sun, right? Am I right? Thank you. (laughs) That's the extent of my knowledge. But I do know this. If our Earth's axis was even just the smallest percentage off, it would throw everything out of the loop. Not only for our planet, but for everything else. One day, folks, this world is going to come unhinged. Not only in the figurative sense, but the literal sense as well. And that's what Jesus is predicting during the Great Tribulation. Verse 26, And everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory and will send out His angels to gather His chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest to the end. So what, what we're seeing here is Jesus is gathering the people of Israel that have been scattered throughout the world during the Great Tribulation and those who believe in Jesus will be restored. So I can't imagine He's sitting there And he's talking about this glorious time, but yet he is only days away from hanging on a cross for your sin and mine. So Jesus wraps it up in verses 28 through 37. That's the end of what we call the Olivet Discourse. And so he says, look, I've laid a lot of stuff on you. I know it's heavy. But he says, let me give you these two stories to help you figure it out. We call them parables. He says, Jesus closes his teaching for the disciples with two parables in an attempt to get their minds off of the details he had shared. And some of you say, yeah, preacher, I wish I'd get your mind off of these details too. But hey, I don't want you to be able to see, read through this and no one can say my preacher didn't tell me what that meant. Look, I would love to sit here and teach you a, a message of Scripture that will tickle your fancy and to make you feel better about yourself. But you know what? God's Word can do all of that. And even this today is working in somebody. I don't know who. If nothing else, it'll be working in me. That's the beauty of just preaching through the Bible. It is God's Word is infallible and sufficient for everything that we need. People have come up to me before, and I would just think most of the time I'd go home and I'd tell Donna, boy, that landed like a flat rock. And then it would be a day or two later, somebody said, you know, you wrote you that scripture, that passage just for me. I'm like, no, I didn't. But that's the sufficiency of God's word. It starts to whoever. So let me let me get back to my point. I apologize. Mark thirteen twenty eight through thirty. 
Now, learn a lesson from a fig tree. Now, again, we've talked about the fig tree before. The fig tree is a representative of Israel. So he says, learn about the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that the summer is near. In the same way, when you see all of these things taking place, you know that his return is very near, right at the door. So I tell you the truth, generations, this age will not pass from the scene before all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Be careful of those who say, ah, we're in the middle of the tribulation, or the tribulation is here, or, or it's just around the corner, and if, once we do this, and this war has happened, and this, 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 this president is, is our president, or this, this politician is doing this, and, and if you put this together with this like a jigsaw puzzle, then you, this is when Jesus is going to come back. This is when the great tribulation is going to be full of all of that. Because you're not going to be able to plan that out. Because Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back. All he just knows is that he's ready for God to say go. And he will go. So what does that mean for you and me? Do we just need to be oblivious? Absolutely not. You just need to know the end is near. It's like we talked about last week. When we see what's happening with the Ukraine. When we see what's happening with the world. When we see what's happening to the unborn, when we see what is happening to those that are, are living but being mistreated and trafficked, when we see the worst of humanity, as bad as that is, it's going to get worse. But how are you going to know when the tribulation is here? Jesus tells us, seven-year period of peace with Israel and the abomination of desolation or the sacrilegious object will be set in the temple. Did you know that although the temple is not rebuilt, there are a group of people in Israel that they are Jewish zealots and they're called like the temple reformers or something like that. But they are they are getting funding. They are doing everything that they can to rebuild the temple. And Bobby said, well, hey, that'd be cool. The Jews would enjoy a new temple. But they also want to resume animal sacrifices. Can you imagine what Peter would do with that? And also, what a slap in the face to say Jesus' blood is not enough. Yes, one day it will be rebuilt. And there are, there are people pushing to have it rebuilt now. So again, I'm not saying we're in the tribulation. I'm not even saying we're close to the tribulation. But I'm saying it could happen any day. We have to know that the end is near. Verse 32 says, Now no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in the heaven or the Son himself. I just said that. Only the Father knows, and since you don't know what time he will be coming, be on your guard and stay alert and pray. Again, be that kid that's out there in the baseball field just ready to steal a base or to catch a ball or whatever. Just be ready to go. You you got your stance. You're ready to go. Don't be the kid picking daisies or waiting for snack time. Although snack time is cool, right? We got to be alert. It says the coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work we, they were to do. He told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. You too must keep watch, for you know when your master of the household will return in the evening, at midnight, before dawn, or at daybreak. 
Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone. Watch for him. So not only do we need to know the end is near, we need to know that no one knows when Jesus will return, not even Jesus himself. So the parable of the fig tree causes the tribulation saints to watch and know for the signs of the times. But the parable of the householder warns us to be alert because we do not know when he will return and come from heaven. So, so what's, what's the, the bow to tie all of this together? Power is found in being ready and keeping watch. If you hear anything else that I have said today, the great tribulation is a time you do not want to be here. And today you have the opportunity, if you are not a Christian, to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and you can be exempt from this. Now, there are some people that believe, uh, you've heard of the term uh, pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib. There are some people that believe that the rapture will come in the middle of the, of the tribulation. Some believe we're in the tribulation. And there are people that believe that the tribulation is past. I don't know which one you are. You, you believe whatever you want to believe on where we are in the tribulation. But I'll tell you what, you just better be ready for it to be here. Because I have the feeling that what we have seen is nothing like what is to come. Why is it important to be ready? Why are we preaching about all of this today? Well, that's because Jesus thought it was important enough to tell them before he went to the cross. And so we're studying it today. Why now? Jesus knew his physical time on earth was coming to an end before his return. He, he, he didn't get on the cross and say, hey, see ya, wouldn't want to be ya. Out of here. He's telling him, look, listen, prepare. My time is drawing close. Let me tell you what you need to know. And folks, some of you that are apathetic, in other words, you don't care, or I'll do that later, or this is a bunch of gobbledygook and, you know, I'm just going to go on with my life. You go ahead and do that. That's fine. You, you can do that. Be apathetic. But that will be a guarantee that you're not heeding Jesus' call to action. When you, when you get those text alerts, that's a, I, I never know the difference between a, a tornado warning and a tornado watch. I have to ask Donna every time. Or those poor people that have been in hurricanes. Donna and I have been through some smaller hurricanes. There are some people that will board up their windows and they will fill their bathtubs full of water and they will do everything they need to do to get ready, and there's some that just depend on somebody else to bail them out. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, when the, when the time comes, if you have prepared, you will not regret it. But if you haven't, you will. So our application for today is this. Although Christians today will not experience these terrible sufferings and ordeals that are described by Jesus, the warnings found here are clear. Even when times are tough, we need to be alert, be deceived, We do not need to be discouraged. We need to live with a sense of urgency and we need to be bold today for speaking to the lost so that they can see Jesus in a clear way to accept him before this time of tribulation comes.